Well, welcome to the Pod of the Gaps. Um, it's very exciting to be able to actually welcome you to a podcast that now has a name. Um, although we uh, have been thinking that maybe the podcast will now be about 10 minutes shorter than normal um, because we won't be able to spend the first 10 minutes discussing what it should be called. But thank you for your feedback and uh, hope that uh, you now enjoy having a podcast that does have a name, uh, whether you like the name or not. Uh, but I'm joined as normal by Andy Bannister and Aaron Edwards and I'm Michael Otts. And this is the podcast where we basically get to discuss topical issues of a blend of theology and apologetics and banter. And uh, Today, we're going to be thinking about the question, should Christians quit social media? Um, and this really kind of came to our attention as a few, couple of us had been watching the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, uh, which raised quite a few issues um, from a kind of secular standpoint, at least, about um, some of the distractions and the dangers of social media. And um, certainly as Christians, it's worth thinking those things through and thinking about how we respond to that. Um, should we quit? Uh, should we try and think about how we use it differently? Um, do we need to be more aware of some of the dangers? These are all kind of questions we want to think about. And particularly for those who are in positions of Christian leadership, um, what are the uh, ways in which we can use social media, but maybe some of the dangers we need to be aware of? So um, as we like look at this, one of the things that really struck me from The Social Dilemma was this sense of the fact that we are basically our attention is the is the thing that is being marketed. Um, so the whole design of social media is to basically keep your attention for as long as possible. Um, that's the way that, that it's designed to work. Um, and um, I think there was a line in the, uh, in the documentary where they said, basically, the uh, only two um, businesses, inverted commas, in the world that talk about their customers as users are social media companies and the illegal drugs trade. <laughs> um, so in a sense, we are the user. We are the ones being um, used. It's our attention that is the product in that sense. Um, so I guess what are some of the dangers that we've seen in this, particularly, I guess, thinking about distraction? Um, Andy, Aaron, how have you found, you know, you're, mm. you're both on social media, you're both active in it. Um, have you found that in your own experience um, kind of, coming to play and how have you managed to deal with that or do you manage to deal with that what are some of the the things that you're aware of yeah mm. well happy to have a go at that first and then Aaron kind of kind of chip in I mean it's interesting isn't it I think like you Michael I remember watching the social uh dilemma watched it with uh with with, with my wife and I think afterwards we turned to each other and went oh my word we've got to make some some changes <laughs> but in one sense it exposed things I think that had already been there and in fact the, the book that really opened my eyes to this it was a bit early in the social dilemma and it was uh, Nick, uh nicholas carr's book the shallows mm -hmm. that dates are way back uh now i forget when that first came out i think it was i was gonna say you look at yeah look, i've got a copy of my desk was leafing through it 2010 i think and actually predating that was an article mm -hmm. nick wrote for the atlantic magazine called is google making a stupid mm -hmm. and um and i think distraction is the big part of his that story and there's a there was a a piece of that book and then the article that preceded it, where he talked about just that sense he'd begun to notice in himself through heavy, I mean, both internet use, but also social media use, where he was just finding it harder to lo read long pieces of, of, of copy, be the mm. articles or books and so forth. And I remember reading it going, it's truth, that is absolutely my world because as yeah. someone who loves reading, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a massive reader, read all the time. But I've noticed that in recent years, really struggling. It takes harder to get the concentration uh, and so forth. And I've really begun to appreciate, I think that is that social media 
uh, has been a big part of that because you're used to constantly scrolling and, and clicking. I sometimes catch myself like refreshing the Facebook page if anything new has happened. <laughs> and uh, and equally at the same time, when I force myself to step away from screens for a bit, the difference it makes. So I think distraction is a, is a very much a big a big piece of, yeah. uh, of, the, of the equation. There's there's other ones as a uh, as well, and I think one of the mistakes that that we can make, and I think I've certainly kind of made. So I'm not I'm not picking on on others, but because I see this in myself, right? Mm. Is that we I think we assume that our attention is just something that we can divide up infinitesimally into smaller and smaller mm-hmm. units and not cause any issues. Yeah. And there are certainly some things you could divide up into smaller and smaller, you know, amounts. I mean, if you take a glass, you know, take a, a glass mm. of water, you can drink it in one big gulp. You can drink it in lots of sips doesn't make much difference either way it's going in probably has rather the same effect there are things that you you can't uh, divide up into smaller and smaller things without uh, you know diminishing them and i think our time and our attention is mm-hmm. one of those things whether it's an attention on a piece of reading or there's attention on relationships you know whether we're whether we're playing with our uh, with our children or spending time with our with our loved ones mm-hmm. um so yeah i think we do live in a world that wants us to divide our attention uh, mm-hmm. largely for profit in the case of the social media companies and uh, I think, therefore, we need to ask some tough questions. And certainly one response is the is the question we sort of cheekily titled this show with. Should we quit <laughs> our social media accounts entirely? We can explore that, obviously, a bit more over the next half an hour or so. But, yeah, distraction is the mm-hmm. is the big thing, I think. Um, Aaron, what about what about you? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm still just trying to cope with the fact that we've uh, we've gone straight into a topic. We've just uh, you know we've not 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 talked about our name <laughs> at all. I can't believe it. I feel like it's five. We years have distracted in. ourselves, haven't we? We have distracted. What's social media doing to us that we're not? Yeah, we're just talking about content straight away as if you know that's Sorry. more important. I can't believe it. Um, anyway, <laughs> but no, I, to- I totally um, resonate with all of that. I, I think Cars, the the Swallows book, is really really good. It's one that I'm using on a uh, a course that I've designed at Cliff College on on the impact of digitization on preaching, particularly mm. in relation to, yeah, what does preaching look like um, or should look like or how has social media or digitization in general affected how people expect communication to happen? And that, that there's loads of really bad things that can happen off the back of it. And it doesn't mean that preaching should then go, oh, Right. What should we do to help uh, this situation? Because actually, we, we really need as the church to take a stronger line to stop the malformation of minds, which is happening um, as a result of our, you know, our total embeddedness in digital media. So, uh, for, you know, for myself, it's funny you mentioned, Andy, the thing about brain use. I just as you said that I had this really weird memory of being an undergraduate student when my housemates and I used to play this game called on the Nintendo DS. Do you remember them? They were like these little... It was pre-iPhone, and you had a little stylus to do a game. And the only game I had on it, I got it bought for me or given to me or something. As a kind of, I almost brought it back to uni as a kind of joke. And we all just got hooked on this game called Dr. Kawashima's Brain Training. It was the only game that was there. We did. We got into kind of quite competitive. And it, it showed you every now and then, it gave you a little tutorial of your a brain map mm. of how much heat is on your brain when you're doing certain activities. And this is what it's like when you're watching TV and there's hardly anything going on. And then here's what it's like when you're doing a crossword and it's like all over the map, there's heat uh, happening. And even now I was thinking, oh gosh, it, well, that was almost, we didn't pay much attention at first to that. Mm. But then as as social media developed further, of course, Facebook 2004, iPhone, is it 2007? Um, changing the face of how you interact. Um, I'm starting to see that, at the, you know, the real difference um, that what we give our time to and what we give our attention to 
actually gives a lot of attention to us and changes the way we can attend to others. I, I can remember sitting in coffee shops with people um, not long after the advent of, of the iPhone where people are happy to just text as they're talking to you. I know it's almost like we've become used to that now. But I remember being really, really shocked, just thinking, how do you think this is an okay thing for you to do? I'm the only one here, and I can see you doing it. <laughs> but it's apparently totally okay to do this. I don't understand why. Um, so I, for me, I, though I'm happy to be connected, I used to have an iPhone, then it got viced accidentally in a, in a cinema chair once. And since that <laughs> point, <laughs> which I'll explain another more about another time, I did take it back to the Apple shop, and they were just like, what do you expect us to do with this? I was like, well, come on, this is your phone. It, look, it literally looks like a banana. It had been completely vice. But uh, since that point, I got someone gave me a rubbish phone, a kind of a dumb phone, and I was just going to tide me over for a few months or something until I got back on the smartphone trail. And I just found I really enjoyed mm. being able mm. to not being on the internet and being able to just call and text like the good old days. Mm. And it was interesting because it does, it did change a lot. It actually, I was happier in doing so. And a lot of people mm. say the same thing when they switch their kind mm. of media habits. So, you know, for mm. myself and my family, we're very tough mm. line on, on smartphones, really. It's not that we would completely say it's a, it's a terrible thing mm. or out, outlaw it entirely, but I, I'm pretty sure we're not going to have them. Mm. Um, indefinitely because i just think that the the cost is too much you can go you can still yeah. go on the internet i still enjoy choosing to go online rather mm. than you know having to be connected online because i just know i won't be able to stop and I, I see the impact on everyone else and how it mm. affects mm. them so there's that element of it i mean there's lots more i could say i, I probably miss out you know, not being connected to things like WhatsApp. I can't talk to you guys on WhatsApp. I'm sure you talk about me all the time in our we podcast WhatsApp. We about you all the time. And then every like day, you kind of come in and catch up on the conversation. So. <laughs> exactly. That's why, that's why I like doing this podcast. I can catch up on what you guys have been talking about. Um, but yeah. that's something like, there's missional things that you miss out on. You know, when other people are connected to Twitter immediately and instantly, I can't do mm. that. I've got to go and go onto my laptop or iPad, whatever separately so i think there's things there's obviously pros i'm not i don't think withdrawing entirely is, is a thing and in many ways i think i could probably do with pushing out a little bit more but i think in general i found the benefits of being less connected have been far more significant than you know possible yeah. advantages on the other side I mean, just I think, one thing i wanted to, to pick up very quickly on there and then back to back to you michael you, you mentioned the um the digitization piece Aaron, mm. at the top of there and you know one thing i remember that occurred to me the sort of when the social media kind of revolution was kind of beginning and i've got a sort of background in computer science before mm. you know got into all the stuff i'm in now so you think about tech for a long time and love technology mm. always played with it and so on and so forth was the fact that i think one of the things that is sometimes missed is that digitization has a flattening mm. effect so when you digitize something you you flatten it so the obvious example that's often used is um you know the difference between say a vinyl record which is an analog version of the recording. So, so when you record something on vinyl, literally the you know the orchestra, the singer does their does uh, his or her thing, mm. and that causes sound waves, which causes the needle to vibrate, and uh, that sound wave is literally sort of effectively carved into the vinyl. So it's a one for one reproduction. Mm. But when we uh, digitize a song, you know you can't digitize everything. So you you know there's, there's bits of the sound wave that aren't captured. And that's not a problem because we can mm. digitize at such high quality that we miss something's not a problem. But then we come to other things. You know, I know Michael and I are kind of big outdoor people, right? So if you take a photograph of a, of a beautiful view on a walk, 
that that maybe it's a very high resolution photograph looks good on your on your uh, on your wallpaper on your computer but you don't get the warmth of the sun on your skin mm. you don't get the sound of the river or the wind um you don't get the kind of ache in your muscles from climbing the mountain it's yeah. been flattened mm. and then we come to social media mm. that has that flattening effect mm. with relationships and you take mm. someone like say facebook for example yeah. uh, other social media plan- platforms are available um <laughs> You know, and I remember early on in the so- in the social media craze, hearing people say, "Oh, yeah, I've got a thousand friends on Facebook." Yay! <laughs> well, if you think about it for a moment, you can only have a thousand friends if you first flatten what it means to be a friend, mm, yeah. and that's what Facebook has done. It's yeah. flattened human interaction to I've clicked a like button mm. or I've clicked the invite button and they've responded. Whereas real world friendship has a lot more mm. complexities. And real world communication has a lot more complexities. But I think when we digitize things to say we, we flatten mm. them, we simplify them. And mm. sometimes the things that are chopped off are things that are actually important. Yeah. And I wonder if this certainly goes for us as Christians, yeah. you know, that we believe that, you know, communication is not just the exchange of, of information, but actually mm. we are we are body, soul, and spirit. Mm. And uh, and not all of that can be captured uh, in a digital interaction. It's amazing, isn't mm. it, when you think about how um yeah, how much the danger can be in us thinking we've had the real experience. So that's because when the digital offers us a digital version of an experience, we can actually then be duped into thinking that, that we've actually had that experience, but we haven't. Um, mm. And that's even more dangerous. You know, I, Again, I remember when the iPhone first came out and someone was showing me a, a picture of a, a, an image of a candle where you could turn the iPhone and see the candle move like a real fire. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Like you could use a real fire though. I mean, that it does that as well. Reality does that too, you know, but it's almost exciting. We can replicate reality, mm. but mm. you know, and it's almost the kind of excitement of it, but then we don't realize, as you say, Andy, you don't realize when real concepts in our mind are changing, like what is friendship changes? What does it mean to like something changes? Doesn't it? I think I remember the person who invented the like, um, emoji or what do you call Mm. it not an emoji I guess a button Um, and she didn't have any idea the kind of impact that would have on Mm. the world in a big way and there used to be an unlike button didn't there and they had to they took that away is that right does anyone remember that I feel like I remember I think you could um I think you would still do that of course although the fun thing was about the like button you're absolutely right I think and that comes out in the social dilemma actually is of the the inventor of it talking about the fact that they had no idea this would then create this hamster wheel thing Mm -hmm. where people would do all kinds of tricks and things to get Mm -hmm. likes or that you'd have teenagers self-harming or or committing Mm -hmm. suicide because they didn't Mm -hmm. get enough likes and this great monster and then the other thing of course that was funny a few years ago if you remember there used to be just be the like button but then they realized that you know somebody shares on social media that they're their fathers just died. Mm. Well, is hitting like the appropriate yeah. response? Yeah. So Facebook tried to nuance it. So now yeah. I think there's six different emotions, right? You've got the yeah. six little, the smiley face, the grumpy face, the angry face, um, or the slightly puzzled. But you can't put face. a thumbs down, can you? I don't think you can do a dislike. Is that? I'm pretty sure you can't. No. Oh no, no you can't can do angry face. Yeah, angry face. On... But that's more like I'm angry oh. at this injustice or something. You can't actually say I dislike what you've just said. Like you well, can on YouTube, though, so, can't you? Yeah, I've had people be angry. angry at things that I've said in a kind of like I disagree with you. <laughs> you could choose to interpret it as oh, that's righteous anger for Andy my does cause. It all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I've, and of course, if there was, a, I've always thought that Facebook, with apologies to American listeners, does show its American roots because if there was a British version of Facebook, there'd just be the kind of near face because you know, as Brits, we like to do this non-committal. There should be a non-committal yeah. face. Yeah. I'm yeah, not happy. Yeah. I'm not sad. I'm just. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just before we 
move on to a different aspect on this kind of topic of distraction before we get distracted from distraction. Um, I mean, it's helpful Aaron, talking about having a dumb phone and, you know, rather than a smartphone. And I've often kind of thought, oh, I'd love to be able to do that. But then like, you know, I think for me, the thing that keeps my smartphone going is the thought of turning up in a foreign country and not having Google Maps. It's like, it's the fear of losing that probably more than the access to Facebook. Um, but I guess a couple of things I found really interesting on that was um, a year ago, a couple of years ago, after I read The Shallows and it had a kind of profound impact upon me, one of the things I thought about was, I came to the decision, I wasn't going to quit social media, but I was going to make a decision for at least a month that I'd only be able to access Twitter and Facebook once a day. So I would pick a time, I would go on it mm. once a day, do anything, reply yeah. to stuff, post stuff. What I found was really interesting is actually because I was only going on once a day, my desire to look at it then diminished because the whole point of social media is to kind yeah. of draw you in and to mm. keep kind of going back and back. Mm. And so actually by by only allowing myself to go and want today, it suddenly kind of cut off that desire I had to keep checking. And and that was very interesting. The other yeah. time, yeah. was a couple of years ago, I was in New Zealand and I was on a um, paddleboard trip down a river for five days outside of all kind of connectivity. There was no roads, no phone reception or anything. Mm. And to be honest, probably since the age of 18, that was the longest period of time that I've had outside of like connectivity with any kind of the outside world. And the first day I was having massive withdrawal symptoms. I was thinking, how am I going to cope? Like I'm on my own, oh, yeah. no connection. Mm. But I tell you what, after four days, um, I was absolutely loving it. I was in a place that I hadn't been in. Like, I, I, you know, you have that kind of funny kind of like, I've got this kind of memory, like deja vu kind of feeling. And it was basically the feeling of like when I was like a teenager and you go away from home for a week and you just like huh. had no idea what happened yeah. at home because like you didn't have a phone. And mm. um on yeah. the journey back, I was on the bus and the, the bus driver said, oh, you'll get phone reception when we get over this hill if you want to check your phone. And I thought to myself, like, I don't want to. Like, I'm so happy in this moment <laughs> to break complete disconnection yeah. from the world. I've, I've had mm. time to process and yeah. think and read and reflect in a way that I just haven't for, for over a decade, um, which, is, which is really quite profound. But, it's um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember so, having a similar experience on a... Um, on a fishing trip in Canada a few years ago, yeah. exactly the same thing as you described. It's almost exactly the same, Michael. The first day of five yeah. days without internet or Wi-Fi, almost feeling like like I was like missing like an arm. And then mm. by the end of it, you're like it's, it's beautiful. This does, by the way, we don't need to pursue this because we've only got you know so much time and so much to talk about. You know, as you talked there, you know, one of the things that I think social media usage does raise for us to think about is time mm. and how we divide our time yeah. up because we all say we're busy, busy, busy. But we find time to go on this stuff, and I think it was, um, I think it was John Piper of all people, somebody like him at that end mm -hmm. of the sort of conservative yeah. spectrum, Christian spectrum. Once said, he said, you know, he thought one of the reasons why that, that God had allowed the creation of uh, social media was so, so the day of judgment, when the Lord says, "Why did you not spend more time reading the Bible and praying?" None of us would have any excuse <laughs> because of going, <laughs> going. Well, let's just talk, my son, my daughter, about your social media usage. You, uh, you yeah. say you were too busy, but you spent three and a half hours on the thing every day. Mm. So, um, mm. and I guess that's yeah. where the iPhone yeah, that is. is quite helpful in that once a week you get a thing that says like, "How many hours have I spent on this?" Like, you know, and you can break it down. And, and that is terrifying, actually, isn't it? When you break yeah. it down and you see where the time is. Yeah, yeah. God. absolutely. Um, there's so much more we could say about distraction, um, but um, we probably should move on. Um, uh, because I guess one of the other areas that would be good to think about would be the kind of world that kind of social media invites us into. So there's been a lot of talk about being brought into kind of echo chambers of our own making and that, you know, the way that not only we choose, but particularly the algorithms of social media work will be to 
to kind of expose us to stuff that we would particularly like and be interested in and probably um, kind of protect us from or alienate us from stuff that we don't. <laughs> this was brought home to me a while back. I was, um, as someone had tweeted in response to an opinion poll before the last general election here in the UK, and um, they were flabbergasted that the Conservative Party had been given you know, a lead in one of the polls. And they said, how can the Conservative Party be in the lead? I don't know any bleep Tories. And I kind of thought, well, that's the point, isn't it? Like, you know, this person lives in this kind of social media bubble mm. where they've literally got no interaction yeah. with anyone who votes Conservative. Um, and yet, clearly, there are people in the country who do vote Conservative. They're just not people that will ever invade that person's kind of sphere of influence. But they had therefore interpreted their bubble as the world, or at least the UK. Yeah. Um, and so they were in this kind of this dissonance mm. between like this opinion poll and what they were seeing reflected on their social media feed. So I guess mm. what are some of the mm. dangers inherent in that um, mm. for, for us and, and, <clears throat> and for people in general? Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's, yeah, it totally makes sense. As you say, the, the echo chamber issue. Think of you know, Brexit and Trump as well, a surprise political um, sort of outcomes that people just were like, what? That's not allowed to happen. Um, well, it did happen. So it's sort of like, uh, but it does show the shock and outrage of it does show exactly what you're saying, um, that we sort of surround ourselves with, with, I guess, the people that are perhaps more like us. And even if we do have a variety of friends, I'm sure many people do have a variety of friends across the spectrum on their sort of social, religious or political views. I think Facebook does tend to work on, on an interactive basis, doesn't it? So you obviously, you know, Facebook as an example, um, you tend to see the things of the people that you have interacted with and they see the things you've got. So it's amazing really how f people still post things without realizing that, I think. And they might be offended, let's say, when someone doesn't like this or that as much as something else, but it's often algorithm-based and it's, you know, you might have a thousand friends, but then you sort of think Sometimes I still forget. You post something, you almost think, "Oh, this will appear in a thousand people's news feeds." Well, of course mm. it won't. It, mm. it, there's a lot of things to go in the news feed, and and the algorithm will decide. The algorithm gods will decide based on various complicated factors, which might relate to all sorts of things. It might be how much you corresponded with that person recently. It might be whether they liked something you did previously. So it's unbelievable how much power there is in stuff we talked about earlier, like the likes and like the comments and things like that. Um, and yet many people engage who are users, as you say, amusingly, <laughs> like drug users, um, are users of it without realizing the kind of ramifications of every action that they're doing on there. And therefore how things you're saying are being received and perceived and all the rest of it, which really does have a big impact when we're thinking about how powerful social media is mm -hmm. at shaping opinion. It's actually mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I'm trying to challenge myself to post more i don't think i've actually been consistent in that but because i don't because I, I have to go online to do these mm. things mm. it's not a natural thing for me just to post whatever i'm doing in life whatever so i occasionally will do a post but not very often um and i want to have an awe in there more because for me it's more of a missional action i've got to make a decision okay i'm going to go on social media because i'm not connected to it in a vast way uh, in the rest of my life uh, but opinion is shaped there in really profound ways. And I think we can't just ignore it and say, let's you know, completely um, disconnect as it were. It's almost the other side yeah. of the coin. Yeah. I think a couple of thoughts in response to that, that too, is I think um, we were saying before they, we started recording the show, there was a great phrase I came across. I think it was in Wired magazine or 
or somewhere a few years ago about a, um, a computer scientist and sociologist in the States who'd coined the term digital flocking huh. to describe mm. this tendency we have to kind of, you know, gather together with like-minded mm. folks. And in fact, you know, digital media has allowed that in a way it was never possible. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you were, a, you know, a gay, left-wing, uh, disabled uh, Star Trek uh, fan, to find other people like you would be very tough, but now there'll be a Facebook group for you mm. and a Google Hangouts for you and all those kind of mm. sort of things where you can flock together. And the danger is, as you say, you don't listen to others. Mm. Now, it's easy to point the finger outside the world, outside the world. One of my fears is that this goes on in the church, uh, that it's, yeah, you're, it's very, very, very easy to just surround yourself with a Christian echo chamber. Mm. And, you know, I was, this has been brought home to me in just the, in just recent while, because um, I've just got a new book out. Every author has a, you know, plug his. his Do you have no so, idea? Know that from social media, would you? I've only so seen seventeen posts about it in the last. I know, eh? Hours. Exactly. It's ridiculous. Um, so I've got this book out called "Do Muslims and Christians Worship the Same God?" and uh, it's been great fun. Enjoyed writing it all. Mm. But one of the things that disturb actually begun to disturb me slightly mm. is in the last kind of week or so. Increasing numbers of, of Christians, well, they'll see that uh, this is Christians, not non-Christians. I mean, I expect non-Christians to get cross at it, mm. but it's Christians seeing it and post on social media under it going, well, the answer's no, or just no in capitals, exclamation mark, or, or uh, you know, why do we need a whole book to give a one-word answer? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it serves me slightly because, of course, the, the answer to those things are, are firstly, well, Christians think the answer is no. But our secular friends don't, and our Muslim friends don't. So mm. somebody who said this has probably never actually occurred to them that actually there might be people out there who don't believe as we do. Yeah. And then even those who do, are aware there's a world outside the church, you know, I've, I've pushed back on some folks going, but does it not occur to you that if you say the answer is no, there's a follow-up question, which is, well, why is the answer no? And mm. the fact we need to engage with those outside mm. the church. And so I do worry that, you know, for, for Christians, it's very, very easy to fill your social media feed up with all of your favorite Christian, you know, channels and everything else and not listen. And so, yeah, I suppose the challenge, and I want to make sure we're not just standing here being holier than thou, because we're guilty of this too, is how do we make sure, as you say, that we're engaging with the world, that we're listening to others, we're getting other perspectives, we're learning how, what our non-Christian friends are talking about. We're in, we know that what, uh, how to communicate well, and also within the Christian world too, of course, we don't even bubble ourselves within that, because yeah. of course, if you're a, you know, if you're a sort of you know charismatic or a Pentecostal, it's easy to just hang out with those folks and not hang out with those who are, are different mm. and are followers of Christ, but might take a different perspective on certain issues. So as well, yeah, we, just out, we just hang out with the Holy Spirit, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, direct, direct absolutely. Um, what I would say, though, I think, I think. For me, Aaron, and I, and I, I, you know, it's a daily struggle to get this right. Is what I, what I've tried to do is be intentional so mm -hmm. that you don't hit the distraction mm -hmm. thing. So when I watched the social dilemma, that was a profoundly challenging documentary, mm -hmm. and one of my actions was, and maybe I do need to go further, but one of my immediate actions was what I did is I've, I've got a smartphone because I'm a bit of an Apple, uh, you know, aficionado. So you know, I, I remember queuing for the first iPhone and getting very excited when I got this thing. What, I've, what I did after that documentary is I've taken the Facebook app off my phone. I've taken the Twitter app off my phone. Yeah. So it makes it harder to, mm. to engage those things. So you have to be more intentional. Yeah. And when, when I play with the kids, the phone is in a different room. And we have just last weekend, so we're still new to this stuff. My wife and I have got this new thing we're doing where on Sundays we, have, we, take, we do a digital Sabbath. So the phones go mm. off. They go in a plastic 
box of the kitchen. And the rule is if you need to, like, if you've got to, you know, can we call our pet, we call the grandparents on a Sunday, that's okay. You turn the phone on to do a, a voice call. Um, or if there's an emergency, like for the navigation thing, you mentioned, Michael, if we go on a, on a road trip, you know, the phone will go in the trunk of the car, the boot of the car. So it's there if we need it, but it's turned off. And again, trying to come out of that user mentality. How do we stop being users? Um, or how, how do we go back to being users and not being used, I suppose? Yeah. Um, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Really I guess to think about. Sorry, it's my quick up. No, I was just going to oh, say, I cool. guess, and this has been the challenge for, for all of us, I guess, globally over the last year, has been like we've been forced in a way to interact on social media because that's been like the only legalized kind of form of, of community. Like, you know, normally we would be meeting physically with people, we'd, we'd have church communities where we'd meet physically and so on. So I think all of these challenges have been exacerbated, which is why it's really good to, to talk about and reflect on um, and um, and think about what that's doing for us. I mean, I guess one of the things that um, the, the church, like, like as in a physical gathering of the church, not kind of online kind of YouTube or Facebook or whatever, like a church should do is it brings us into contact with Christians who are not like us. Like they're different. They have different interests. They have a different, a different age group. They're from a different kind of part of society and so on. Um, and, and there's something profoundly enriching about that. Um, whereas, like you say, even, even as Christians, we can kind of seek out kind of similar Christian community um, when we're on online and kind of the danger of just kind of that, that reinforcing of our views. And I guess I'll just, just think about it evangelistically as well. Um, one of the things I think is a challenge about doing, like, you know, we often think, you know, it's great to be able to do evangelism online. You know, people can watch and listen to stuff. But, but as someone said, we generally search out online on, on social media stuff that we will find will reinforce ideas that we already have. And I know that, you know, I'm scrolling through Twitter yeah. and I'll be immediately drawn to click yeah. on links of stuff that will probably reinforce an idea that I've already got. And I'll be less disposed mm. to clicking on a link that's mm. going to challenge a view that I've already got because uh, I don't want to be challenged mm. <laughs> like that. And, and of yeah. course, if we're trying to change people's minds, which is kind of what repentance is all about, um, that's profoundly difficult when people are predisposed to not yeah. wanting to do that, particularly in that, that environment. Sorry, I was mm. cutting you off, Aaron. You were about to say mm. something else. No, it's fine. I, no, but just before, I was, I'll just respond to what Andy was saying, but I'll just jump on what you said there. <clears throat> um, it's funny that you say that we search things out that would help us, but again, it comes back to the algorithms. Mm. YouTube, for example, searches you out almost and gives you the things on a platter, mm. the things yeah. that you would like. And so it's quite a convenient thing. It's, a, it's kind mm. of, oh, this is nice. So that's a video I would like. Yes, well done, YouTube. You've done well, but it's doing it based on your own data, based on the things that you've actually uh, mm. you know, liked and, and seen previously. So we get used to that. And because of the convenience, I think we uh, don't challenge the fact that it's, um, you know, d- there are problems out the other side of that as well. Um, I think I was going to say on, on your thing, Andy, as well, <clears throat> you know, Steve Jobs famously, of course, a well-known quote now, isn't it, that he didn't want his own right. children to use the iPhone or iPad. And that should tell you a lot, shouldn't it, about the way in which malformation can happen through some of these. And I know so many parents that can't get their children off of tablets and devices. And so this is like, if I didn't give them this, they would go crazy. And I just think, mm-hmm. wow, we just never had that as a kind of an option. I guess we do occasionally they might get to do things, but we're always with them and it's very, very occasional. They never get ever get to you know just go on their own. Uh, on a tablet and I think that's a really important Mm. thing but so many parents it's like this is the only thing that will help it but only because you've basically trained their brain you're starting to train their brain to kind of get their kind of dopamine fix from a certain 
uh, kind of stimuli. Um, and because you know you train them in that way, of course they're they're going to find it difficult to transition away from it. So there does I think there does need some radical action, like you say, Andy. What you said, you know, de- deleting the uh, Twitter app from your phone and things like that. Those kinds of actions are increasingly necessary, um, or at least on some way to show that you're alive, to show that you're fighting, you're able to resist, so you're able to make a choice. You can't mm. just say mm. you can't make a choice if you're not able to resist. So I think scaling back and saying, I'll just go on a fast for a time, as you say, you know, for, for a day or a week or whatever. And then when you come back into it, you'll come into it with a better frame of mind. You'll be making choices rather than having it all made for you yeah. um, by the environment. I think that's an interesting thing on the parenting, right? Because similar to to you, we've made similar choices as as parents. We wanted our kids to 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 you know to enjoy some of the digital stuff, but also be very careful. So yeah, I mean, obviously, as they're young, they're eight and six, but um, you know, we've already committed. They don't play computer games. They don't have tablets. Yeah. They don't have access to any of those things. They've never once wanted it, actually, which is interesting. Hmm. And when we watch stuff, we haven't got a TV as well, which is also something I hugely commend, you know, and recommend to others. That was recommended to us. Wow, and that's it's a, amazing. That's a John actually, Piper thing, isn't it? He doesn't have a. What's TV. what happens? Here's an interesting thing. When you when people discover that you haven't got one, they firstly think you're a hermit, and to go, no, a hermit. We watch stuff. We we have you know Netflix and iTunes, Amazon Prime, but we open up the laptop and do that. But what that mm. means is that our lounge isn't dominated mm. in the corner by the large black box. And it occurred yeah. to me, like in, in the ancient world, you'd go into you know the the common living area of say a Roman or Greek home, and there in the corner mm. would be the household gods, and yeah. they would have centre <laughs> place. I visit houses yeah. in the east, and it's the yeah. same in you know Hindu culture. And I remember coming back to the West and going, ah, oh, Struth, we've just done the same thing <laughs> yeah. because we've created a little household shrine with yeah. a TV. Everything's focused mm. that way. Mm. And so that decision. Um, and then, as I say, just thinking very seriously about that. And then I suddenly realized, actually, this advice is coming up everywhere. So the social dilemma, the, uh, if you, if you haven't, if it, for listeners, if they haven't watched that documentary, it's worth doing. Because right at the end, there's a psychologist called Jonathan Haidt who's written a lot on, on sort of the mind and thinking and yeah. culture. I wrote quite an influential book uh, called The Coddling of the American Mind. And he said, you know, number one rule as a psychologist, he would say, do not let anybody, don't let your kids under the age of 16, ideally under 18, have access to a smartphone because the damage Mm. it does. And then I recently read Abigail Schreier's book on the transgender craze, Irreversible Damage, amazing book. And at the end of that, you know, her top 10 tips for parents, particularly Mm. parents of daughters Mm. and all that's going on around the transgender stuff right now, her number one tip, do not let your kids have a smartphone. Yeah. The, the research has been done linking it to, you know, the uh, the, the social, social contagion stuff around mm. around transgender. Before that, it was the self harm and the suicide uh, stuff. I think is is hugely important. So I think ask yourself what choices can I make. Don't don't be a hermit. Yeah. You know, use the good stuff that's out there. But again, try and shift the the narrative so that you're in the in the driving seat. And the great thing is, I could. I mean, obviously, our kids are young. But we have not had our kids come in and go, hey, it's not fair. Our kids do this. Mm. You know, my kids spend half their time in the back garden. And it's Scotland, I tell you. Ain't, the weather's not good. <laughs> but they're out there doing crazy stuff. And, yeah, it means we have to live with interesting science experiments and, uh, you know, an attempt to dig a tunnel to Australia in the vegetable garden and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? It's worth it for the fact they're engaging in the in the real world mm. and not just a, in, in the faux digital one. It'll save you for Very airfare safe. as well, of course, if you, you know, to get to Australia yeah. via a tunnel. It will. And it's, you know, I, was just, I was just realizing that I grew up without a TV, and the one thing that I remember doing was digging a hole in the backyard and trying to get to Australia. So maybe it's the thing that happens when you don't have a television. The first thing you do is you try and dig to Australia. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, seriously, looking back, I mean, like 
actually, I look back at my childhood, and you know, there was a kind of slight kind of like mockery that you get at school when you were uh, like, you know, people would realize you didn't have a TV. Um, but actually, you know, I'm I'm not at all like upset that you know, looking back at my childhood, mm. I didn't. And I think you know, yeah, the mm. creativity and stuff that we did probably because we weren't using our time on that. Um, mm. So, so yeah, I think there can be this feeling of like we're denying yeah. our children something good, but actually, are we actually not only protecting them, but but through that helping them to discover other things that are going to be a lot more productive, formative, and, and right. wholesome in the long run. There's such a fear. There's a real fear about um, it, isn't it? There's a fear about their social disconnectedness if they're mm. not connected to all this media, if they're not playing the latest games. You just think, mm. what the heck are you talking about? You should be scared of the other side of this. You should not be scared that their friends at school are going to say, oh, weren't you playing Fallout or whatever? You should be scared about what's actually happening to them being malformed by the, mm. the media. And you are, as parents, you're in control. Yeah. You've been given authority over mm. your children to raise them up. It's a huge, mm. sacred responsibility. And I just think so few parents are aware of the ways in which um, they're, la- they're basically outsourcing a lot of par- parental um, authority yeah. to other platforms. It's quite scary. Really. That's the thing I'm more scared of than my children not being able to partake in a conversation about Minecraft or something. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I mean, I know we're kind of running out of time, but just a sudden thought there before, Michael, I know you've got the sense you wanted to raise one last question or something, is, you know, I think a couple of things very quickly there, um, Aaron, that I think we've realised. One is, I think, for folks listening to this who have that worry about the, about your kids and so forth, I think what, there's a couple of things going on. One is that kids, if you encourage them to be social and outgoing, they'll always be social and out, outgoing. So our kids have got lots of friends. They play with the neighbourhood kids, friends. You know, like my son, he knows about Minecraft. His friends are into it. But, you know, he also knows we don't have that game. We're not going to... We're not going to play, and, and it hasn't been an issue at all, which is interesting. So, if you encourage them to be outgoing and friendly, and and um, and actually, what's interesting is a lot of because of a lot of our neighbourhood families spend huge amounts of time on screens. Our kids have become quite popular because we, rather than put some high definition TV in, we paid to put we got a trampoline and a swing set and a like jungle gym thing in the back garden. We put money in that, and all the local kids come around and play there. Actually, which is hilarious, which is funny. So they've become a bit of a social attraction. And then the other thing I think as well that could, could wrong foot parents is we, if we're not careful, we assume that media today is like it was when we were kids. Yeah. And to go, it is a different ballpark in, entirely. Mm. You know, I grew up, I'm in my 40s, so I grew up in an age of three or four channels and yeah. media was quite a different animal. And it's easy to assume, oh, we don't need to worry, it's neutral. Because I think when it began, it kind of, there was more neutrality to it. I think, I think now it isn't uh, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um Aaron, do you want to come back on that? Um yeah, well just um I, I think, you know, as as Andy's saying, mm. I think we do make that mistake regularly mm. in terms of thinking we we turned out okay, but you know, mm-hmm. if you're pre uh, if you remember the day when the internet came out and you had to dial up and hear the kind of crazy screeching sound and things and, and only <laughs> one person at a time and be on MSN Messenger, you know, you remember a time because you were brought up non, you know, pre-generation Z, as it were, um, we're not digital natives, and so it, there's a reason why we, why we're able to take a, a, a different sort of approach. And I do think it's a totally different ball game for younger generations. And parents who are not digital natives need to, mm. you know, they need to be aware of, um, yeah, the ways in which those things can uh, can malform, basically. Mm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I guess, um, I guess as we try and kind of wrap these kind of things up, um, there's loads more we could talk about in terms of dangers and distractions. And, you know, in a sense, you know, we're not unique in talking about that. You know, Social Dilemma's doing that. The Shallows did that 10 years ago and so on. But thinking particularly as, as Christians and responding to the problems that we see, I guess one of the questions is how does the gospel help us as we respond to this? Because it'd be very easy just to say, oh, it's terrible, it's bad. But, but actually... You know, Christians have always had to adapt to new forms of technology, you know, whether it was the printing press or, or or whatever it was, you know, and think about how do we use this, but how do we respond in a Christian way to it? So I guess what, what are some of the resources that the gospel gives us that helps us to engage well in this arena um, rather than being sucked in? Like, what are some of the unique things that we have as Christians yeah. that could really help us? Hmm. A couple of thoughts here then Aaron's the theologian so we'll probably have much more wisdom to offer than than me but a couple of thoughts very very quickly uh, Michael the first is of course because as Christians we believe that humankind is both made in the image of God but also fallen that should help us approach anything that human beings make and engage in with that twofold framework and so that means we can approach digital technology and go hey it's amazing you know human beings are technology makers we see on the on the, on the early pages of genesis you know right in the beginning human beings go out and make stuff yeah but all the things that we make reflect that that both you know imago day image of god and fallenness thing so i think you know with technology it's so easy to get sucked in because it looks amazing and it's glitzy and it's glamorous. Always be asking those two questions. What yeah. here reflects, you know, all that is good about 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 humanity? God declared of humans, you know, we're very very good, but we're also fallen. And then what what reflect what reflects the fallenness? Yeah. Uh, and to and to be asking that. Don't get suckered in. Don't don't condemn and just go. It's all it's all rubbish. But equally, don't just get uh, dragged along with it. it's all wonderful. Yeah. So I think that's something that I think the gospel offers is that 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 yeah. place to stand and judge from from outside mm-hmm. then i think the other thing as well the gospel offers is reminding us that perhaps the key question is what does it mean to be human i think so so much for me comes down to yeah. down to that whose image are we made in whose image are we being conformed to and i think that yeah. is a thing that christians need to be prepared to fight for because we haven't got time to explore this in, in huge detail but one of my sort of bigger concerns i guess about digital technology in general is it sort of leads us towards a kind of a new Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was that ancient heresy that said the only thing that matters is the is the mind and the mm-hmm. spirit. The material mm-hmm. world is bad. Yeah. And I think social media technology pushes us that way. You know, and if it can't be reproduced digitally, it doesn't matter. Technology can be, you know, communication is just a stream of information. Church services can just go online. And we forget this physical world. Mm-hmm. And I think the gospel reminds us, no, we need to fight for the physical world because God made a world of stuff. When Jesus came, he didn't come as some idea just beamed into everyone's minds. He mm. came in flesh and blood. He also cared about the small and the particular. You know, God could have appeared simultaneously in every culture around yeah. the world all at one time. He could have done that, but he didn't. He chose to come in one particular form, in one particular place. Mm. And again, that should encourage us as Christians to, yeah, it's exciting that social media, you could reach lots of people at once. But also maybe God might be interested in us just reaching our next door neighbor yeah. and not worrying about how many likes or retweets uh, we've got. And so I think, yeah, think about that. What does it mean to be human? Think yeah. about uh, think about the good and the bad. And then, as I say, the other place I often go in, this is, the, is that passage in Romans where it says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're, we're called to be a transformed people, not by our own power, yeah. but by the power of the gospel, by the power <clears throat> of God's spirit. And if we're not transformed into his image, will be transformed into something else. 
And so again, as we use media, as we reach out, whether it's social media or more old school media, just constantly asking, what is this trying to transform me into? If the thing I'm watching is helpful and it helps me reflect more of the image of Christ or to engage more with those who are lost, who who need to know that message, fantastic. Mm. But if it's dragging me away from that, if it's making me shallow and and harsh and tribal and judgmental and Mm. other things that social media can encourage, maybe that's the point to turn the phone off and go, no, I'm going to say no to that. So let let Christ be the the criterion. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's very theological as well. I I don't need to really jump in on it, but I feel that I feel like always. uh, It's interesting. Apologist has become a theologian. Exactly. Look at that. Yeah. And and most is is the fifth wheel, right? You're the fifth wheel on the vehicle. That's it. That's it. But you know, exactly. Um, I'll uh, I'll jump in on a few of them just because it's so so interesting. to think of you know the ways in which we've been quite we need to be we've been quite tough on technology in this discussion haven't we we've been sort of talking about the dangers of things and 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 the awareness of that i think that's the biggest that's the headline thing that i think we need to take away to go to think okay where in what ways do we need to make some of these choices and and, and reflect on a sort of ascetic um, approach which sort of withdrawing from some of these things um so that we can almost clear and get perspective but i do think we also need to think of the ways, as I've said previously, missionally, <clears throat> that we're called to sort of take dominion over technology as well. You know, as Andy said, technology is a human thing. It's a, a thing that we've been doing. You see it in Genesis from the very beginning. Um, I read an interesting book by Doug Wilson recently called Productivity, um, which has a, an interesting chapter on technology where he say, where, you know, he say we cannot just be the sort of agrarian ideal types that just withdraw and go, right, uh, technology is evil we must move away from it we have to find a way of taking dominion um, as christians actually in in the world and i'm re- reminded of matthew 28 you know go into all the world all the world um mm. and and make disciples of many nations and and you think how are you going to do this? the gospel goes everywhere not just locationally in terms of geographical but actually it does mean the social media world you can't just go that's rubbish we don't like it we're going to stay out of it we have to we have to find a way to withdraw in order to go back in again. I think there's that important uh, dynamic. If you only if you're immersed, you can't really get perspective to to actually be on mission going in. But if you withdraw and you've got perspective, what what is the gospel for? Well, it's for the world. I need to go into the world, save the world. So we don't love the world, but at the same time, Jesus so loved the God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so with that message, we we do need to sort of be aware of, of going into. Um, these platforms with a with a missional mindset, not just a sort of dead being carried along by the stream, uh, a kind of mm. piece of flotsam and jetsam, whatever. Um, one final thing would just be the sort of we talked about the connectivity, mm. uh, the yearning for friendship. Mm. You know, talk about what it means to be a friend and how we've changed the meaning of that. And obviously, you know, <laughs> the gospel gives you the greatest um, uh, possible notion of friendship, and that you can be friends with God. And we don't often think about being friends with God, that God actually wants fellowship with us. He loves us and wants to actually fellowship and commune with us. I don't think we think about that enough as Christians. We think about, I've got this message about God that I need to tell Mm. others. I go to church and have my experiences at church. But Mm. we have fellowship with God. and I don't think we tap into that enough, plug in to that enough um, in our sort of Christian lives. And obviously that fellowship with God then, you know, transports us into fellowship with one another in the church and that's why the church is such a a rad should be such a radical community because people should look at the church and go whoa i thought i had friends 
And you guys seem to have like friendship on a different level. And it's like, well, yeah, because we have the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, there's so much that's really helpful there. I guess my only thing I was going to add on that was just, I think there's a sense in which like so much of our use of social media can often be seeking approval. I mean, the whole like button mm. thing we talked about earlier is part of that, isn't it? We, we want to be noticed. We want to be liked, approved of. Um, mm. And, you know, psychologists and scientists have talked about how it gives you a dopamine hit, you know, when everyone <laughs> likes your stuff, you know, likes okay. If they comment, it's even better. You know, it's, we want to be, we want, we want mm. that. We crave that. And, but obviously, there is that sense a bit like a drug addict, you know, the more you have it, the more you need um, mm. to kind of give you that same level of, mm. of, of hit. And ultimately, of course, it's profoundly dissatisfying because, you know, you know, you put out a post that gets like a thousand likes and all sorts of comments, but, mm. but what have you actually achieved? You know, when you look back at it, when you, when you hit mm. the hay at the end of the day, you know, you look back mm. and think, well, well, what have I actually done through that? You know, was that something really to feel happy about? And I guess mm. for me, one of the things that I find really helpful is just to go back and say, well, whose approval am I really after? Um, and as a Christian, um, obviously my approval, or at least it should be that, that I'm desiring the approval of God. Um, and that's a challenge, but it's also an incredible privilege, isn't it? It's a challenge because it makes me think, well, is that the case? You know, at the end of the day, do I do I care about what God thinks of me and what I do more than what my social media followers do? But it's also an amazing privilege because it's the God of the universe can be pleased in his cre- in his creatures. You know, the fact that I can bring pleasure to the heart of God um, through the things that I do or say um, is a profound thought. I think sometimes we kind of just feel that, you know, God at best tolerates us. Um, he's like a kind of slightly dissatisfied headmaster who's kind of there kind of looking on thinking, well, could have done better. But that sense in which actually God can be delighted. Yeah, you know, he's not just liking us, but you know, he he loves us, he delights in us, mm. and we can bring pleasure to the heart of God. And and in a sense yeah. that frees us and it liberates us in our use of social media because then actually the most interesting people often on social media and the internet in general are not those who are out to be liked. <laughs> there are those, you know, and that's true in, in life, yeah. isn't it? It's people who are set free from the desire to mm. be liked and for wanting to kind of you know yeah. pander to people's approval who can actually say stuff that's hopefully interesting and engaging and creative um mm. so hopefully we'll be better social media users if actually our use of social media is not primarily driven by mm. how popular we'll become mm. um and how many people are going to yeah. like us at the end of the day yeah that's so guys true. thank you so I, much i know we're criminally over time i was just yes. going to say one tiny thing about jesus on that can i it is about yeah, jesus yeah. we can talk just about jesus what you said there allow you <laughs> Um, um, it, it, it just strikes me as you were saying there, you know, Jesus is the epitome of someone who doesn't need affirmation from anyone else. He's got mm. it from his father. And, mm. and we see that explicitly in the Gospels. Mm. And Jesus was mm. such a magnetic figure. Everyone yeah. wants to like, everyone likes Jesus, actually. You know, the, even the, the, the great uh, atheist philosophers of the 19th century, the likes of Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, who uh, wrote vociferously against Christianity, they often would say Christianity was we don't like christianity but we like jesus or well, there's something about jesus that was compelling and he's the epitome of someone who's got his affirmation elsewhere and i think that's something our, we need to model get our affirmation from god mm. that's that's brilliant yeah fantastic um guys thank you so much there's so much more we could talk about i think we've got enough um here to kind of fill about three uh episodes but um i hope that's been helpful um and i've certainly enjoyed discussing these things um so do let us know uh, your thoughts and feedback on that um, but we'll be back um, uh, next week for another episode. Um, and we look forward to, um, I was going to say, look forward to seeing you then. But uh, 
we're not going to see you and more to the point you're not going to see us which is a pleasure i'm sure uh, for you um but uh, <laughs> thanks for being with us and uh, see you again we'll see you next time bye bye